Amen. Take your Bibles if you have one this morning and turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. 1 Peter, chapter 4. We've been working our way through this amazing epistle of Peter. In the last couple of weeks, we have been hitting on a subject that I told you last week is not my favorite subject. It's the subject of suffering. I don't like to think a whole lot about suffering. There's enough suffering in the world, there's enough suffering we go through to have to really think about it, but I believe in his omniscience, God realized that you and I needed some instruction because suffering was going to come at one time or another into our lives. And for us, we who are his children, for us to have any kind of an impact for Christ at all in this life, we must learn how to respond in suffering. Oh, the world knows how to respond in suffering. You scream and holler. You throw things and you get really angry. You take drugs and alcohol. Oh, there's all sorts of ways to handle suffering. But what we're commanded, encouraged to do is to suffer like Christ. Let me read for you in 1 Peter chapter 4, just the first six verses, and then we'll pray and I'll share what God's put in my heart this morning. 1 Peter 4, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. This morning I want to share with you the message that I believe that God gave to Peter here, and that is a grand design for suffering. A grand design for it. A good purpose for it. A blessed preparation for it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the sweet time we've already had in your house. Thank you for the church. Lord, thank you for sweet fellowship, songs of praise. I trust that you've been worshipped and glorified. Now it's time, Lord, for us to look into your word. Your word, ever powerful, ever true. And Lord, living with truth for today. So Spirit of God, would you give to us what we need today? It's not going to be long, Lord, before we are through these passages regarding suffering, so help us to get the truth now, I pray. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. My heart, like yours, I'm sure, was so grieved to hear of the devastation in Hawaii. For an island to be so incredibly 
burnt by that wildfire. Wildfires are not new to us out here. We know wildfires. Um, wildfires, devastating, fearful. Folks here have lost homes because of wildfires. As of this morning, I took a quick peek. As of this morning, what I found was 114 have been discovered dead thus far. And they predict that many more will be found. Some never found. So, why would a supposed loving God allow such horrible suffering? Many innocents, in fact, though I've not read it recently, I was told that we should expect there will be the remains of many children who were caught in the fire, did not make it. Little children, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve that kind of horrible, horrible suffering. And the survivors that have to endure the grief. God, do you know what you're doing is a cry. So why does God allow suffering? Well, one of the reasons for Peter's epistle is to answer that very question. And we believers ought not go through our lives being upset with God and shaking our fist at God because of suffering. Instead, we should begin to understand His grand design for suffering. And instead of complaining, we need to mature to a point where we say, Lord, honestly, I don't like this suffering, but if it can bring you glory and me good, then thank you for in our first verse, and in the verses to follow, we understand that the, the intention, or suffering's intention, is to cause us to stop sinning. Now this is a rhetorical question, don't raise your hand. How many of us this morning have stopped sinning? We're done. We're done. We have reached sinless Perfection, we are not going to sin again. Now, if you're married, you know that's a lie. We haven't reached sinless perfection. So what has God done is he's given us a tool whereby we can find hope for that sinful nature. That nature that instead of going God's way, instead of being submissive to Him, instead of saying, yes, Lord, when He speaks to us, instead of getting upset with Him when things don't go our way, we have a consistent walk with Him. How do you get to that point? Well, one of the ways is, He tells us here, is through suffering. And, um, our, our first verse, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, He says, Arm yourselves likewise. Arm yourself. I looked it up just to confirm it. It means to equip yourself with weapons. And we've got some folks in this audience right now who have an arsenal of weapons at home. <laughs> it's scary going into their basements. I'll tell you what, so many, so many. We can have our own militia, Hope Baptist Church militia. Look out. Well, here he says we are to arm ourselves 
likewise. For as Christ armed himself, we are to arm ourselves. Well, did, did Christ go around carrying AK-47, where we go, and, and a double-barreled shotgun and, 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 uh, and, and guns all over? Of course not. So what's it mean he armed himself? Like, we're to arm himself likewise. What Jesus did, we're to do, and it says he suffered. We are to suffer like him? Looking at it from the, uh, the syntax, the grammar, it's he that hath suffered, and that's a one-time suffering event. It's a one-time in the past. He that hath suffered one time in the, in the past, in the flesh, hath ceased from sin, and that is a continued action. So he that hath suffered one time in the past has continued to cease. So, so they were sinning, 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 sinning. They suffered, and from that point on, it says they continued not to sin. That's, that's the, how the verse breaks down. You see, it says, like Christ. We're arm ourselves like Christ. Christ is our example. He suffered once on our behalf in the flesh. Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit. So Christ took upon himself all of the suffering that was attached to the judgment of our sins. He who was holy took upon himself our unholiness along with the prescribed judgment. You see, you've sinned, every one of you, and it's not because I know you, it's because the Bible says you have. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, we deserve punishment. When I was growing up and I would sin, I would lie, get caught for it, or, or disobey, or, or not be a particular place on time, I would get in trouble for that. I would frequently get disciplined for that. Well, understand, before God, who can see all things, every sin, every evil thought, every evil intention, every bitterness in my heart, all of that, God sees, and there is a judgment for every one of those sins. Well, glory to God, because I came to Jesus Christ 11 years old and trusted Him. I put my faith and trust in Christ. All of the punishment for all of the sins I had committed, I was committing, and I ever would committed, commit were under the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid for them all. Do I deserve that? Not for a second. But Jesus Christ paid it all. All to Him I owe. You see, sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Incredible transaction. I deserved the punishment. But because of his love, he took my punishment. Christ suffered on our behalf in his flesh. Therefore, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. We should have the mind of Christ. Sometimes it's, it's tempting to, to think, well, I want the mind of Christ because, wow, he's so smart. 
and I could outthink everybody else. I'd be smarter than you. <laughs> I'd be smarter than anybody. I'd be so cool to be so smart. Well, that's not exactly what that means. Have the mind of Christ. It means to have the same compassionate heart as Christ. The same concern for others as Christ. In Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews 12.3, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You see, Christ intends for us to find our strength armed with his mind. As we arm ourselves thinking like he thinks, we are preparing ourselves for any suffering that may come along. As Christ hath suffered the same mind, as his disciples, we should be willing to suffer as well. In 2 Timothy 3.12, yea, and all that will live God in, I'm sorry, yea, that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I stumble just reading over the verse. It's a mouthful. I don't mean the words, I mean the truth. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. Some of you remember earlier generation evangelist John R. Rice, great, great man of God. I had the privilege of hearing him speak. I've got his autograph, bought his books. <laughs> great man. Told a story one time of him being hijacked. The guy got a gun out and put in his face, give me your money. John Rice told him, you can't scare me with heaven. <laughs> the guy took off running. I don't know that I would encourage you to do that, by the way. <laughs> I'm just saying that's what he did. <laughs> you see, he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. In other words, suffering stops sin, he says. Suffering is a sin stopper. Suffering is a sin stopper. I happen to know that because when I sinned as a child, my dad put me through some exercises to cause me to stop sinning. <laughs> And I knew that if I were to do it again, I would have to go through the same exercises. And I was dumb enough to have to repeat that several times. But suffering is a way so that we will remember and not sin again. It's ingenious when you think about it. It's incredibly smart, well thought out and prepared. And guess who had the thought? It's God. Suffering is what separates us from our sin. In Romans 6, 11, likewise, reckon ye, also, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Consider and conclude that you, as a child of God, are dead to sin and alive to God. The word reckon Yes, it's a southern term, I reckon. But here, it is from the Greek word where we get the word logic. Logic it out. Reason this out. Think 
carefully about it and come to a reasoned conclusion. Reckon. Logic. Ye yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin. Think about this, he sees it. Think about this. When Christ died on the cross, he broke the bonds of sin and death. The old man was destroyed on the cross. He died on the cross. You say, well, where's all this temptation come? And when I fall, what's the deal? The deal is Christ paid for that sin and crucified the flesh on the cross. So when we fail to trust Christ for that, and we, rest we respond anyway to those callings of our dead man, we're being so foolish. We are following the advice of a dead man, the old man who died with Christ. Reckon, he says, or consider and conclude you're dead to sin and alive to God. And in Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. By faith, allow Christ to live through you. That's the whole point. We are to die to ourselves and allow Christ to live through us. Paul said, I buffet myself daily. Why? Because that old man wants to take over. And Paul has to be reminded, oh, yeah, he's dead. He's dead. I'm listening to a dead man. So many times we get controlled by a dead man. And how foolish, from eternal perspective, how foolish is it for us, you and for me, to be driven by counsel of a dead man? When I trusted Christ, I lost ownership of my life because Jesus purchased it on the cross. My life is no longer my own. Therefore, my will is no longer my own. It's Christ's. As such, Christ is to live in and through me. In Galatians 5.24, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh, the old man, with the affections and lusts. You know all those temptations. The temptation to get angry. The temptation to say something you ought not. The temptation to steal or to lie or to cheat. All those, all those ugly things that Christians ought not do if they're reflecting Christ. Those temptations, the likes of which all of us are plagued. Crucified with Christ. And we have to daily remind ourselves he died on the cross. By submitting completely to Christ, our flesh, along with those affections and lusts, lose their hold on us. In Colossians 3, 3 and following, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye shall also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, make sure all of you dies in Christ. There are some really stubborn parts of the old man 
They're stubborn. They don't want to die. They don't like this dead thing. They want to live through you. So make sure all of you dies. And he said, here are some of these stubborn things, these stubborn members that love to, to take charge. It's interesting that most of them are sexual sins. Those animal-like urges that are hard to tame. He says, when they come alive with temptation, immediately subject them to Christ, trusting him for his promised victory, and then bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. Make sure all of you dies to Christ. <laughs> sure, Mom remembers, but I was a kid. We'd go out to a farm and do some butchering of chickens. And uh, the way we did it, we had a hatchet with a very sharp blade on it. We'd grab the chicken when it's ready to, to butcher and stretch out that neck and whack with that hatchet and the head comes off. Very convenient. But you know what the body does? If you're not hanging on to the body, the headless body takes off and runs and flaps its wings, tries to fly, runs. We were on, a, we were on a, a, just a little hill. And one time, one of these chickens took off, and you see them going like this, and there's no head, just run as fast as they could, all the way down the, all the, way down the drive there, all the way down. It's incredible. Blood flying everywhere. <laughs> you see, there's a problem. That chicken's dead. He just doesn't know it yet. That old, old man had his head cut off. At the cross... Jesus cut the head off the old man. But he doesn't always know he's dead. And like that chicken, he loves to flap his wings and run and try to throw around his influence in your life. Just remind yourself that he's dead. Let him flop around someplace else. Make sure all of you dies in Christ. You see, suffering from judgment stops the flesh from sin. And in this passage here, it talks about God's judgment. God brings judgment in our lives for what purpose? Just like Dad brought judgment in my life. When I refused to obey, my dad brought judgment in my life. Why? To help me stop sinning. God judged Jerusalem. We know that. Reading the Old Testament is a, it's a tragic tale. How God's own people, the Israelites failed to submit themselves to God. And oh, incredible, the, the short memory they had. They would start worshiping these idols, and God warned them through the prophets, and they would plug their ears to the prophets, or even, even kill the prophets, and go on about their sinful ways, and God would stir up a heathen nation, and that nation like the Philistines would come, and they would dominate them for a while, and persecute them for a while. Then in the pain and suffering, God, help us, help us, and God in his mercy... Help them. It's incredible. Time after time after time, God mercifully helped his sinning people. That's incredible. God brought judgment. For what purpose? To help them stop sinning. But just like my dad, he always knew there was a line he didn't want to cross. And God had a line for Israel. That they didn't 
ought to cross. Because if it says you cross that line, I'm going to give you up. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 40, They shall also bring up a company against thee, and they shall stone thee with stones, and thrust thee through with their swords, and they shall burn thine houses with fire, and execute judgments upon thee in the sight of many women. And I will cause thee to cease from playing the harlot, God says. And thou shalt give, thou shalt also give no hire anymore. Notice, God says, I will cause thee to cease from playing the harlot, from sinning. God will. How? Through judgment. You know, a casual reading through could say, well, God, you sure were really out of sorts. And these are your people. You're causing them to suffer so much. And these are horrible, horrible judgments upon God's people. Yeah, but nowhere near as horrible as their sin. And God loved them so much, he wanted them to stop sinning. Because sin was destroying them. They were dying spiritually. God judged Jerusalem to cause them to cease from sin. And God sometimes has to judge us to cause us to cease from sin. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, like my dad, who corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But notice it says, But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, outward, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. God sometimes has to spank us. When we're sinning, we're going our own way, refusing to submit to His will, sometimes God has to bring judgment into our lives. But why does He do it? Is it because He's vengeful? Or is it because God loves us so much? He refuses to give up on us and allow us to sell ourselves to a life of sin. In Proverbs 22 and verse 15, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. It's described here as parental judgment. Sometimes parents have to bring suffering into the life of a child. Why? Because they're, they're, they're ogres? <laughs> because they're sometimes mean? Well, sometimes they are and they ought not be. They ought to be loving. And out of love, they need to bring judgment for the benefit and growth of the child. Our middle daughter, when she was young, just could not admit what she did wrong. Just couldn't admit it. See, when, when confronted, she would even lie to say, no, she didn't do it. I mean, she'd, she'd almost lie to the grave, I and mean, that's how determined she was to convince us that she didn't do wrong. I was on the platform, all the services, my wife with my children were out there in the audience. It was her job to take care of the kids. She said to the kids, now you need to sit up here in the pew and not get down. Well, apparently in that particular day, Amanda did not stay in the pew. She kept getting down. So afterwards, always check in with Dad. Mom said, we got a problem. Amanda didn't stay in the pew, like I said. So I looked at Amanda and I said, okay, sweetheart. Mommy said that you didn't stay in the pew. 
you got down. Is that right? No, Daddy. No, I didn't get down. I look at Mom. You told me the truth. <laughs> well, I knew better. I took Amanda back in my office, and we squared off, and nose to nose. I said, now, Mommy told me, and Mommy's not a liar, is she? Well, no, Daddy. Let's just say it took several sessions for Amanda to finally, through tears, finally admit that she was wrong, that she sinned. Not till, by the way, I went and after, just like I had to confirm, are you sure? <laughs> Sometimes it takes parental judgment. Why? Because a parent is just an ogre? No, because a parent is so determined not to allow their children to live a life of sin. Verse number two, and the rest are going to go quicker. This is just verse one. <laughs> the rest are much quicker. Verse two, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. You see, the intended person of purpose of suffering is to humble our prideful wills into subjection to the will of God. We're pride, full of pride. We're proud people. We don't like being told what to do. So, so the, one of the purposes of suffering is to humble us. Suffering brings our will into submission to the will of God. Verse 3, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. Notice this, not the will of God, but the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, a life without suffering gives us over to a life of the will of the Gentiles. And the will of the Gentiles is described here. It's a life of sin. It's a life of wicked sin. He calls it the life of the Gentiles. The will of the Gentiles is basically living in the flesh, fulfilling all that my flesh wants to do. It's like, I share with you, when I worked at Winchell's Donut House right out of high school. And I was the night baker and nobody was there. Hopefully the manager's not here. He told me I could eat whatever I made. So all night long, I'm doing all the baking. There's nobody else in the shop. All night long, I'm doing the baking. I can eat whatever I want to. I think during that time period, about two years, I put on 60 pounds. Why? Because I ate whatever I wanted to. I didn't say no. I ate donuts. I, I could have the most incredible donuts. I could have these round do glazed donuts. I could squirt all sorts of things inside of them. I could put all sorts of stuff on top. It was incredible. I couldn't fit it in my clothes any longer, but it was incredible. Why? Because, because I was living in the flesh. And there's always consequences for living in the flesh, for not denying the flesh. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. In verse 8, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, and not sons. In Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth the rod hateth the son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. In other words, true love includes some suffering. Even if it is time out, <laughs> true love includes some suffering. No, you can't have ice cream. No, but I want ice cream. I said no. 
suffering. Now, that's suffering for me. No ice cream. True love looks past the pain to the perfected product. My dad, like perhaps yours, said, now this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I think it probably did, knowing my dad. But he knew that God had ordained that session for my good. Next, God, by his grace, allows suffering for our good and his glory. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Our lives are full of cares. Many of you this morning came in with your shoulders weighed down with the cares of life. Various kinds of suffering, all of which we need to commit to God. In verse 8, 1 Peter 5, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is the adversary. He's the enemy. He's seeking to devour us. We must constantly be sober and vigilant, always alert. This is the suffering of vigilance. This is the suffering of always stay, staying careful to watch, never letting down our guard. Verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You see, the devil's attacks in the form of temptations and trials, doubt, discouragement, depression, are forms of suffering that must be resisted. Verse 10, 11, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, Make you perfect, mature, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Suffering by God's grace can perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. God's got a, perfect, a purpose behind suffering. It doesn't just happen. God's got a purpose behind it. He allows it for his glory and our good. If we had the time, we could go around the room with testimonies of suffering. And every one of you could give a testimony of suffering in your life. Was it because God went to sleep on your behalf? Is it because God didn't care about you? He gave you over to whatever, or was it because God had a very definite purpose behind that suffering? Suffering's results will separate you from your past. Verse 4 and 5, 1 Peter 4. Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. You see, your, your what I call your pre-suffering crowd, the crowd that you hung around with before God brought that suffering in your life to separate you from sin, that crowd, that crowd that you indulged the flesh with, that crowd, um, thinks it's a little strange what you're doing. It's a little odd. You're not running with them anymore in their sinful ways. They're no longer your friends. Instead, they begin mocking you and ridiculing your Christianity. But according to this verse, they soon will give account for their wickedness to him that is ready to judge. They will stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment to receive their eternal punishment for their evil ways. 
1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience, that for as they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation or lifestyle in Christ. Verse 6, for, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now, if you read the commentaries, they're all over the place with supposed interpretations of what this means. But I think if we look at it as simply as possible, for this cause, for this cause was the gospel preached. For this cause. What cause? Well, because of coming judgment. Because judgment's coming. For this cause, because the Lord is ready to judge the quick or the alive and the dead. Or because there will be a judgment of all the living and the dead. For this cause, the gospel was preached. We are therefore commissioned to preach the gospel to the dead. Of course, this is the spiritually dead. Those whose spirits have not come alive yet in a rebirth. They're dead. In order that they might have opportunity to trust Christ and be saved to live according to God in the Spirit. Because, secondly, because suffering prepared us to share the gospel. Suffering has an ultimate purpose. First of all, because of coming judgment. Secondly, because of suffering prepared us to share the gospel. I said suffering prepares us to share the gospel. One more time. I said, suffering prepares us to share the gospel. I wish it didn't take so much suffering for me to share the gospel. I wish when I first heard the preaching, first heard the teaching from God's word, that I would have simply started passing out tracts and telling people about Jesus. But oh, what God had to put me through to get me to be willing to open my mouth. It's embarrassing, quite frankly. Shameful. Our flesh resists talking to people about Christ. Oh, we can talk about the weather. We can talk politics. We can talk jobs. When it comes to talk about Jesus, all of a sudden we become mute. <laughs> Suffering crucifies the flesh. God had to bring some hard things into my life to make me willing to open my mouth for Christ. And then because, lastly, God's suffering's ultimate purpose is because of coming judgment, it's because it prepares us to share the gospel, and then lastly, because God must be glorified. Your life must glorify God. And if it's not, prepare to suffer. Because God wants to be glorified. In John 9, 1 and following, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did this sin? Did this man or his parents that we, he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Notice, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He wasn't made blind because of his sin. He was made blind so that God could be glorified through him. And John eleven three. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, 
the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Lazarus is sick, ready to die. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Because God must be glorified. God will be glorified. You say, I just don't understand why so-and-so is suffering so much. Why this person has to go through so many hours and hours and days and weeks on end of suffering. Why? Well, understand, God must be glorified. God has a divine plan for each of us. And we, don't, we can't always see it from His perspective, but we know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God can use suffering in a way in which He is eternally glorified. Too often we misinterpret suffering as punishment. We think God's unhappy with us. And so instead of kneeling before Him and running to Him, we shy away because we think He's mad at us. Suffering is God's gift to us. <laughs> I just assume past Christmas then, <laughs> that's the case. <laughs> Suffering is a gift. Preparing us in this life to enjoy eternity to its fullest. In the years past, I've spoken to a couple of young ladies at different times, totally different situations. But both had been forced to endure horrific abuse in their early years. The first girl, praise the Lord, at some time early on had accepted the gospel. She'd gotten saved. Over time, a young gal became active in helping others and serving in the church. She had experienced a dreadful season of suffering, but has since accepted that God is, is performing a Romans 8.28 through it. He's bringing good out of it. That suffering that she went through that seemed so uh, cruel and, 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 and made no sense, it softened her heart towards hurting people. And she often reaches out in a ministry to help others. Her eternity is going to be incredibly bright and blessed and filled with rewards. The second, who also went through unspeakable abuses, said, if there really was a God, why would he allow an innocent little girl like me to suffer, be abused, and do nothing to stop it? This girl, this young lady, is haunted by her past. You see, she has no God to call upon because she doesn't believe in God. She distrusts the very one who could save her. Because she refuses to trust in the Lord, she misses out on the comfort He longs to give her. Her eternity, unless altered, will be endless suffering. Suffering comes to all of us at one time or another. Our response to that suffering is going to determine that suffering's effect on us. So let's trust that God can faithfully take us through and can use that pain for His glory and for our good. I don't like any more than you thinking about suffering, but it's important this morning that we understand that God has an eternal purpose behind it.
and we need to grow in our walk with him, trusting that he, in his omniscience, can use suffering for our good and his glory. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, for your love. And I thank you this morning for your incredible wisdom. In your wisdom, you elected to use suffering. And I don't like it. <laughs> My flesh doesn't like it. I cry out sometimes, resisting it. But Lord, thank you for this morning's teaching. And I pray that you might mature us. Help us to understand that you can use that suffering for your good, for our good, your glory. I wonder, no one's looking around, and I don't want to conclude our time here without doing some, some spiritual work, allowing the Spirit of God to speak to hearts. Perhaps he's spoken to you already. But has, has the Spirit reminded you of some suffering that you've gone through? And instead of drawing you closer to God, has, has separated you from God? You no longer trust God like you once did? Instead of that suffering being used for good and His glory, instead of separating you from your sin, it's caused some bitterness. Can you this morning, with the Spirit's help, see that God wants to use that for you? Would you confess your sin to him? And would you ask him to help you thank him for it and to grow from it? Perhaps you came in this morning not even knowing for sure that, that you're going to go to heaven when you die. I've got some great news for you. Jesus Christ, many years ago, died on the cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. And from us, he simply asks that we acknowledge that we're sinners. We cannot, under any circumstance, get to heaven. It's impossible because we're sinners. There's no sin in heaven. So he died on the cross to pay for our sins. And if we come to Jesus by faith, confessing that we're sinners, and we trust in him and him alone, he promises to forgive us and to save us. Have you been saved? With no one looking around, is there anyone this morning that would say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that heaven is my home, but I want to know. Would you pray for me? Would anyone this morning lift that hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I don't know. Heaven is my home, but I want to. Would you pray? Anyone? Pastor, pray for me this morning. Dear Lord, thank you for this sweet time, and thank you for this message. And I pray that you might continue to work in our hearts, drawing us closer to you, and we'll give you the praise for it. For we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.